0: Okay, you guys ready for a Bible study? Grab your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 6. We're coming to the end of this uh, study. We're going to finish it up next weekend. We're going to focus on one uh, key verse that I thought would be really important for us. But you can see we're coming to the end of our Galatians study. Freedom has been this teaching series. That's the title, subtitle, For Freedom, Christ Has Set Us Free. And this weekend's uh, title for this message is Gospel Sowing and Reaping. Galatians chapter 6, we'll look at verses 6 through 18. Now, also grab your sermon notes out. Let me kind of walk you through this. This is what you need to know. You can read along here. Just as there are physical laws that govern our bodies, there are physical laws that govern our bodies, and we break them to our own disintegration... Such as, let me give you a quick example. Eating too many fatty foods can harm the physical structure of my heart, of your heart and body and shorten our life. Oh boy, just in time for Christmas and the holiday eating habits that we all have. Yeah, too much of that stuff is not good. You guys know that. And that, that's, a, that's just a physical law. There's many other physical laws. We'll talk about some of those. But, but I wanted to contrast that with this moral law that God has established, many moral laws, so it is also true that there are moral laws that govern our spiritual lives and breaking them will lead to even greater consequences such as living your life against God's laws can harm you, can harm your life spiritually, psychologically, and relationally. You guys tracking with me there? Does that make sense? Hey, push me just a tad if you would. I'm going to make sure you guys get this. Okay. So there's this contrast between those, so there's physical laws and there's moral laws. We live in a culture today, we understand that there are physical laws, but we don't actually believe that there are moral laws. We kind of feel that uh, truth is a matter of taste and morality is a matter of opinion. We can kind of come up with whatever we want. And of course, we can see in our country today, we're suffering the consequences of that. And uh, look at your notes here your life will become the sum total. This would be kind of a thesis statement for what we're talking about here today. Your life will become the sum total of what your daily little decisions are in part. Make sense? So you're making decisions and there's a trajectory to those decisions that are taking you somewhere. So let me ask you this question. How many of you want 2016, that's where we're headed, 2016, how many want 2016 to be the best year in your life for experiencing the presence of God and the fruit of the Holy Spirit like never before? Show of hands. Yeah, absolutely, I do too. And by the way, we've only got two more weekends and we're into 2016. And only two more weekends, not counting this weekend, but two more and boom, here we are. So if you want 2016 to be the best year ever in your experience of God's presence unlike ever before and the fruit of his Holy Spirit in your life, then this is a biblical principle you can't afford to not know and practice, this idea of gospel sowing and reaping. So let's, uh, before we take a look at this text and walk through these notes, let's uh, begin with the word of prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? God, we are delighted to be here today. We absolutely love you. We love spending time with you. We love growing in the grace and the knowledge of who you are. It is our deep desire to be men and women of God, fully devoted to you, filled with your love, empowered by your spirit, saturated with your word, completely yielded to your will and making a significant impact in this world, all for your breathtaking beauty and captivating glory. So through the study of your word and the work of your Holy Spirit, teach and transform our lives so that we can learn to sow to the Spirit and reap this astounding fullness of life. Your Son, our Savior, Jesus, came to give to us, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Take a look at this text. Let's begin uh, reading uh, chapter 6 of Galatians, verse 6. and It says, one who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. So we're going to go ahead and uh, receive an offering at this time. (laughs) We've never done that before, but we're going to start this morning. And uh, no, we're not going to do that. But we're going to talk about that because you're going to kind of wonder, what does that have to do uh, with what we're about to read? In fact, this next verse, I want us to all read together and aloud. It's been a while since we've done that, so I think it's good for us to do this. So verse 7, let's, let's read it nice, loud, and clear. Here we go. One, two, three. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Good job. Man, you guys, that was good. I'm impressed. Man, I think this side did a little better than this side over here, though. But uh, I could hear it coming from this side. Oh, you guys did okay. Okay. Look at the next part, verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh from the flesh will reap, what's that word? Corruption Corruption or destruction. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap what? Eternal life. So he's making this contrast. And we've seen this throughout chapter 5 where he's making this contrast between the spirit and the flesh. Spirit and the flesh. And the spirit is, is what? When we, we listen to the desires, the desires of the flesh produce what? The fruit of the Holy Spirit. And then, there, and then you have uh, the works of the flesh that are produced by the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh, remember we talked about this, the desires of the flesh it's really an empty ego, it's an empty soul, an empty heart trying to get from creation only what can, what we can get from the creator. It's that, remember that word over-desires, desires, it's over-desires, it's taking a good thing in our life and making it an ultimate thing. It's, it's turning it into kind of a God thing in our life. And it's trying to fill a void that we should be going to God to get filled from him. And the spirit, the desires of the spirit is, is really, when we look at that and it produces the fruit of the Holy Spirit, is being so happy in God, so happy in Jesus, the sin loses its appeal. And so that's, that's part of this idea. And now he's talking about, so if we're going to have that in our life, we need to know that there's a sowing that's going on. We're going to either sow to the spirit, we're going to either sow to the flesh, And sowing to the flesh brings about, reaps corruption. Sowing to the Spirit will reap eternal life. But look at this next verse. This is really a great verse, number nine. I think some of you came here specifically. Whether you realize it or not, you need to hear this. As I look out over the audience this uh, morning, some of you really desperately need to hear this. Listen to what he says. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. How many of have ever felt like giving up? Throwing in the towel? Man, this is too hard. Listen to me. This is from God's holy word to us this morning. Don't give up. Don't stop. Keep sowing to the Spirit. Keep sowing to the Spirit. Yeah, but it's, I don't see anything happening. Something is happening. Keep, keep sowing. Keep looking. Keep looking to Him. Hang in there. Don't give up. Do not grow weary in well-doing. Because in due season you will reap a harvest if you do what? Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't faint. Faint not, The King James says. And so that's important. Verse verse 10 kind of goes along with verse 6 as we read. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hands. Some believe that... uh, Paul took this, he was actually dictating this letter to kind of a scribe or somebody was writing it down and then he's kind of taking it and he's gonna start writing some things just to show that this is truly me, this is my signature and that's kind of what what he's writing here. And many believe it was because he had an eye condition where he couldn't see really well. Verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Remember, now this whole book was based on on the fact that these false teachers had infiltrated these uh, churches that Paul had planted in this region called Galatia. And they were teaching, okay, yeah, believe, but obey, and then you're saved. And and Paul goes, time out, that's not true, that's not the gospel. It's not believe, obey, and you're saved, it's believe, you're saved, and then you obey. Because if you reverse that, as as we said, these uh, false teachers were teaching, that's called religion, and it's, it's earning. It's an effort to earn a right standing with God. And that's completely, it's not true. Not at all. And uh, Paul wanted them to know it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Everything that you need can be found in Jesus. And it's, it's a matter of putting your faith in the... And the finished work of Jesus Christ. And we have everything. So this is what he's talking about. These false teachers. Verse 13. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. So they're wanting to earn their right standing with God through the law. They don't even keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised. Practicing some of these ceremonial laws. That they may boast in your flesh. Let's read verse 14 together. You guys ready? Nice and loud once again. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So what is he boasting? I'm boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ. And we're going to come back next week and just focus on that one verse. I think it's really, really a significant verse. You're going to begin to understand how the cross transforms our lives and what we should be ultimately boasting in. Verse 15, for neither circumcision counts for anything, he's talking good works there, nor uncircumcision or even when we fail. It's not a match for God's grace, but it's actually a new creation. God's wanting to transform our lives. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. For now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers, amen. Now this is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Now you can see how we've got this, this uh, laid out. In our outline, first of all, I give you a warning, and then we're going to take each of these verses individually. I've got little points beside each of these verses for you to fill in the blank, and so let's kind of start walking through this. So the warning, you will reap what you sow. We need to understand that principle. And then we're going to look at two quality control uh, principles as it relates to our harvest. Here we go. Verse 6, so warning, you will reap what you sow, verse 6, listen to the word from your teachers because, now stop there, let me unpack the verse 6, the first part it says, the one who is taught the word, the Greek for the word taught here is one who is catechized, so what he's saying that you need to be catechized. You thinking I need to go to the doctor to do that, or <laughs> what is what is that catechized? That doesn't sound very good. But actually, how many grew up in the Roman Catholic Church? Catechized catechism, you got it, or a Lutheran church or whatever. You went through catechism classes. How many went through catechism classes? Anybody? Yeah, quite a number of people did. So you were somewhat catechized, maybe not in the way that he's talking here. Hopefully you were. But catechized, one who is catechized or taught the word, educated or trained in the essential Christian doctrine. You need to know what you believe. You need to know why you believe what you believe. You need to have a rock-solid foundation. Otherwise, when the storms of life rage in your life, you're going to have any substance to get you through the difficulties of life. And that's why we need to understand, really, the essential Christian doctrines. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 25. Let me just give you a quick summary statement of it. I'll kind of explain that. You don't need to turn there. Uh, James says, be doers of the word and not... Anybody know? Here's only, and why? Why? Deceiving yourself. And so what he does, he paints this interesting picture of, of coming to church and hearing God's Word taught, kind of looking at yourself in the full-length mirror of God's Word, and then as soon as you walk out, you forget what you just heard. You don't respond to what you saw. And that's the, the one that hears it but doesn't do it. And then he compares it to the one that hears it but he does it. In other words, he responds to what he sees. Now, many of you uh, looked in the mirror this morning. Some of you probably needed to spend a little bit more time in the mirror. <laughs> I'm kidding. But, uh, but, uh, but what did you do when you looked in the mirror? You gasped. <gasps> that's scary. That's scary. No, you, you responded. And that's what he's talking about here. Now here's the deal, increased exposure to God's word with decreased response leads to a hardening of your heart. So here's my question for you, what has God been speaking to you lately? If You are, you are a Christian, aren't you? And if you are, you've been spending time in his word, and if you're spending time in his word, he's gonna be speaking to you, you're looking at yourself in the full-length mirror of God's word, and so you're gonna to respond to that. Have you been responding? What are you responding? What has God been speaking to you? What has God been speaking to you? Now, if he hasn't been speaking anything lately, could it be that your heart has become hard because you have over time kind of gone through the motion? You're just kind of checking the church box this morning and, and that's what he's saying. Don't do that. You're just a hearer of the word. You're deceiving yourself. Respond to what you see. That's what it really means as we say, the one who, who has taught the word catechize, listen to the word from your teachers. Burning hearts for Christ can't be nourished by empty heads, When we walk out of here, we ought to be saying, hey, this is what God's talking to me about. This is how I'm interacting with him right now. And this is what I'm desperately needing for my life. Um, And so evidence that you are listening is the second part of verse six. So the first part is the one who has taught the word. Second part is must share all good things with the one who teaches. This is justification for giving financially to your local church family. And there's other, there's other places in the scripture that talk about that. And what he's saying here is that we should not be consumers who come to a church and simply plunder the benefits of it without doing significant giving of our time, talent, and treasure to the church. He actually makes that clear by saying share all good things. The idea of share all good things is a Greek word for uh, koinonia is the word, but we get the word koinonia, which is fellowship, to have fellowship. So fellowship is a mutual giving and receiving. So he's saying, don't just come here as a consumer. Come here as not only a consumer, but a contributor. And there should be this fellowship that's going on because together we achieve more. There's something that happens. And by the way, the impact that Desert Breeze has had in the community here is pretty astounding. And it's because of people like yourself who have come here and have given of your time, your talent, your treasure. And then we together creates this synergy so that we can proclaim and declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ and watch a whole lot of people's lives get changed. And we've seen it happen right here. And it's, it's amazing. I love it. I mean, that's the thing that just drives me and pushes me. The love of God and then his love in seeing in other people's lives as their heart is being changed. And so that's what he means by that. Share all good things. Look at verses 7 and 8 now. So he says, listen to the word from your teachers because if you don't persevere in the gospel, you will reap Corruption. So, if you're not taking the gospel and applying it to your life, then you're sowing to the flesh and you're going to reap corruption. You're going to crash and burn. And in that, he says, Do not be deceived into thinking that you can live however you want to live. God cannot be mocked, He can't be ignored or sneered at. And, and the idea here, immediately when you think, well, God cannot be mocked. That's, God cannot be mocked. He's going to come after you. He's, he's out to get you, kind of. That's the first thing that comes to mind for me. And that's a wrong idea of God, that God's coming after you. Actually, what it means here is that you can't break God's laws. You can only break yourself against his laws. Because, because it's, it's, like, it's like these physical laws do you eat a, a lot of junk all the time? You, your your body's going to show that. You're not you're going to be sluggish. You're not going to you're going to do well. Your performance is going to drop substantially. Well, there's a there's a spiritual principle in that, of of sowing and reaping. Numbers thirty two twenty three says, "Be sure your sin will find you out." How many have ever seen the movie Bruce Almighty? That's a little sacrilegious, isn't it? The movie is just a, it's a it's, yeah, it's just a crazy movie. But I, I've enjoyed watching it a, a few times. And uh, it's an interesting movie. I mean, uh, obviously, they have a very small view of God. But there's a scene in there where Jim Carrey is really frustrated with his life. And he obviously has a wrong idea and a wrong concept of God. Because, see, your concept of God, your understanding of God determines your relationship with him. And it also determines how you're going to communicate him to others. That's why it's important that you have a really a healthy concept of God, because your worship of God rises or falls with your concept of God. If, if you have real small worship this morning, it's because you have a real small view of God. But what's interesting? Listen to this. This is actually a quote from the movie. This is Jim Carrey. He's really frustrated with, with his life. <clears throat> He's talking about God. He says, God God is just a mean kid with a magnifying glass, and I'm the ant. He could fix my life in five minutes if he wanted to, but he'd rather burn off my feelers and watch me squirm. You guys remember that in the movie? And then there's a little bit later on in the movie where he, he says, uh, He says this. It's, he's, he's kind of really ticked off at God. And he says, Smite me. Oh, yeah. Smite me, Almighty Smiter smite me almighty smiter so yeah well he just has the wrong idea of God when I hear people say that it's just it's unfortunate and your heart breaks for him because you go wait a minute you don't know who God is he's not out to get you he loves you he adores you he gave his life for you he sent his son to rescue you to to reconcile you back to him It's your sin that has separated you from him so there's this idea sometimes that we think God cannot be mocked. Well, God, you, you can't thumb your nose at, the, at these biblical principles of God's word and think that you're not going to suffer any consequences. He's saying you're going to suffer the consequences of that, and that's, that's the way it is. Um, so let me bring you back to the culture that we live in here. Western people believe in an objective physical order but not an objective moral order. Let me explain that. So in objective physical order, if you don't change or check the oil in your car, what's going to happen? And I, and I know people that have done that. They just thought they could just continue to put gas in it but never check the oil and then their engine froze up and it was, it was pretty crazy. And, uh, and, and, it wasn't, and it wasn't a female that did that either, okay? Uh, I, I didn't have to say that, did I? I mean, was, you would think most, a lot of women probably wouldn't even think to do that unless they were taught. But this was a guy that actually did that. But, um, and it wasn't me, okay. Uh, but yeah, you're gonna wreck your car. That's just, there's that part of that physical order. If you jump out of a 50-story building, what's gonna happen? You're gonna, you're, gonna, you're gonna kill yourself, okay. But there is also an objective moral order. And let me give you just a short list. If you sow dishonesty it will break the moral order of healthy relationships and creates the destruction of loneliness you're not building bridges you're building you're driving wedges in relationships here's another one if you sow envy and jealousy it will break the moral order of contentment and creates the destruction of bitterness If you sow greed and stinginess, it will break the moral order of the blessedness of generosity. Remember, our Savior said uh, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so it breaks the moral order of the blessedness of generosity, and it creates the destruction of impulsive spending habits and debt and so on forever. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. That's, that's what he's saying. We need to understand that. Next uh, couple of verses here. Verses 9 and 10. You will always reap what you sow more than you sow later than you sow. So my wife has never, uh, she likes gardening. And she's never thrown some seeds out there in our, our little garden. and uh, Such as uh, Uh, sunflower seeds, and then have uh, broccoli grow from those seeds. That's never happened. I can't figure that out. Uh, She's never had all of a sudden, you know, throw some uh, carrot seeds out there, and we got zucchini. Ooh, look at that. That's never happened. So there's a principle as it relates to the physical that also applies to the spiritual. (laughs) You will reap what you sow, and you'll also reap more than you sow. How many have ever planted zucchini, and you got more zucchini than you know what to do with, and you try to give it away, but nobody wants it, okay? (laughs) Yeah, you'll you'll reap more, because you just take these little small seeds, and it's amazing the big plants that come out of that. That's a a biblical principle. And you will sow later than you sow. She doesn't go out in the morning and plant those seeds, and then in the afternoon, man, we're eating zucchini. By the way, I do like zucchini bread. It's pretty tasty stuff. And she's made some of that before, but I don't know why I went there. (laughs) I was thinking of bread there just for a moment. Maybe that bake sale out there. But uh, yeah, that's, that's how it is. And I gave you some verses to help you with that. So when you sow to the flesh you reap a certain quality of life, and when you sow to the Spirit, you reap another quality of life. Now, let me share with you some things as I was kind of walking through this, uh, just some personal things, and I think they're gonna be beneficial for you. Hurry is a pace not conducive for fellowship with God, family, friends, or the investment of our lives into anything that really matters. Um... And this time of the year, it seems like the, the pace kind of picks up a bit. You guys notice that a little bit? You guys feel a little bit kind of like, ah, oh, should be slowing down? So I took off last weekend, and Darren came in and taught. He did a fabulous job. I listened to it. I always listen to these guys when they teach, and he just did an outstanding job. I was really nurtured by what he had to say, was really encouraged. And, but I took off, and I take off from time to time because I need that. I need it for my own sanity, and uh, you guys need it for your sanity because you don't need to listen to me all the time. You need to listen to other people. And, and man, I had really a sweet time last weekend just spending time with the Lord and reminding myself of how much I need to slow the pace down so I can hear his voice more clearly. Some of you need to do that because if you're really wanting to fellowship with God, you cannot cultivate intimacy with God or family members or friends in a hurry through busyness. In the busyness of life, we can lose sight of God's existence and, and let alone his glory. All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. A dull boy. Where's that from? From the movie The Shining. <laughs> That's a messed up movie too. <laughs> Here's Johnny. Um, um, so, uh... So all work and no play will make you a pretty dull person. You need to slow the pace down, and that's, that's part of it. Uh, Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life so that you can heal, hear that still small voice as it tells us in 1 Kings 19.12. That's the King James Version uses that term, still small voice. That's why I was asking you earlier, when was the last time, I mean, as you've studied God's word, what was God speaking to you? what is he speaking to you? What what is he speaking to you this morning? Do you hear his still small voice? You need to hear him. You need to, that's, that's a relationship, interacting with him, knowing him. Obviously, he predominantly speaks to us through his word. Here's another thought too, is that you cannot feed on a diet of worldly pursuits and unholy entertainment and then expect to develop or maintain a heart passionate for Christ. So let me ask you this. When you look at the, the percentage of time that you spend watching TV or, or surfing the internet or on your phone, whatever that might be, as compared to actually meditating on God's word, spending time with him, what I mean, is there like, if you were to put it on a scale, does the one outweigh the other? substantially. I mean, is not is it, it any wonder that we struggle in our lives sometimes when we really look at our lives and how often we're probably feeding the flesh as opposed to feeding the spirit? You cannot feed on a diet of worldly pursuits and unholy entertainment and expect to develop and maintain a heart passionate for Christ. Uh, a verse that I had, that Nancy and I memorized and we had our kids memorized and it was Philippians 4, 8, a number of years ago. It's just a good filtering system. It says, whatever is true, noble, right, Pure, lovely, admirable. If there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. He's given us the criteria to look through our lives, use that as a filtering for our lives. Not that there's anything wrong with watching a good movie from time to time or watching TV. I mean, there's times, I mean, how many have ever had to do this? Just turn the news off. Because my attitude is going right down the tubes. Anybody like that? Yeah. you got to, all I'm saying is be conscientious of what you're doing. Understand where your spirit is headed. There's a trajectory of your life. You're going somewhere, you're either feeding the flesh or feeding the spirit. And you've got to be asking yourself, am I right now feeding the flesh or am I feeding the spirit? What is, where's my attitude? I guess another question to ask is, are you experiencing, are you growing in your love, joy, peace? Those closest around you, would they say, wow, you're becoming more loving. You're becoming more joyful. You're becoming more peaceful. The, the only way you're going to experience that is you've got to feed feed the spirit and and you're going to sow to the spirit your capacity for experiencing the joy of God's presence and the fruit of the Holy Spirit is like the capacity to to lift weights or run a marathon or speak Spanish it only gets stronger when exercised so you got to exercise that your progress in holiness or wholeness will never exceed your relationship with the people of God the church the word of God the Bible and the spirit of God through prayer Uh, Nancy and I go to uh, Speed and Strength University, Drew Bohannon uh, and his wife, Nicole, and their two little kids attend here at Desert Breeze, and he's got a big, there's a big sign up on the wall there where we work out, and it's, and I love it, because it says, no struggle, no progress, N-O, no struggle, no progress, and then underneath that it says, no, K-N-O-W, no struggle, no progress, are, are you struggling? Are you struggling with the truths of God's word to apply them to your life? You, you need to. The very first thing that he said to us when we started working out at this uh, gym is that he said, uh, "He said you, you need to know the difference." And his dad reminded me of that this last night, uh, Bob, and he said uh, because he does a lot of coaching, and he says, "Are you just going to work out? Or are you going to train? Are you just in other words? Are you coming to church to check the church box? Well, work out." Are you going to train with a sense of purpose? What are some things in your life that you need to deal with? How do you need God to speak to you? What is God speaking to you? See, that's more of a sense of purpose. You're coming not just to to go through the motions. Oh, I had a good workout. No, no, you're training because you have purpose behind that training. You're headed somewhere with that. And you need to know, what is God dealing with me about? What is he wanting to do? What, is he, what area of my life am I in desperate need of? By the way, he's got a long ways to still work on me. And that's why I need to take out time. And, and regularly, every week, I'm spending time with him so that he can deal with me. I mean, that's probably why he's put me at the front of the class, because I, I need more help than probably many of you do. He's put me right up here so he can keep his eye on me and continue to work in my life. I'm, I'm desperate for him. I am absolutely desperate for him. And his continued work in my life Do not grow weary of doing good because you will reap a harvest if you don't give up, verse nine. Verse 10, he says, basically, he's talking about the church. There is no way, really, I think this is how we could paraphrase it. There's no way that you will be able to grow spiritually apart from a deep involvement in a community of other believers. I mean, you're just kidding yourself if you think you can grow on your own. It's not gonna happen. That thought in itself is sowing to the flesh, this attitude of individualism. And you're missing out on a lot of the great blessings that God has for us. Our next uh, Game of Life, by the way, we will help catechize you in our Game of Life. And our next Game of Life class starts up right after the first of the year. So uh, that probably would be one of the first avenues in through Desert Breeze. If you haven't gone through that class, I'd encourage you to take that class. Let me read to you something from uh, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis, kind of before we move on to the next uh, couple sections here. This is what C.S. Lewis says, he says, every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different from what it was before. And taking your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature. Either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven. That is, it is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us, at each moment, is progressing to the one state or the other. So there's a trajectory to your life. You're headed somewhere. And daily, see, it's not a matter of, uh, am I sowing now? Now I'm not sowing. No, you're always sowing. You're always sowing seeds. That's the point. Are you sowing to the flesh? You're sowing to the spirit. There's no other choice. There's no in-between. And what troubles me as a pastor oftentimes is to watch people crash and burn, not realizing, not that I, I realized it, I saw it, I tried to warn them, but they were sowing to the, to the flesh only to crash and burn. You see, deterioration is, is never sudden. No lawn suddenly overgrows with weeds, no church suddenly splits, no building suddenly collapses, no tree suddenly falls down, no marriage suddenly breaks apart. I mean, sometimes I've seen people shocked. My marriage fell apart. Well, it was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was heading in that direction. I mean, you were sowing seeds of the flesh throughout that whole time. It didn't just all of a sudden happen. No marriage suddenly breaks, breaks apart. No person suddenly becomes lethargic about their faith. Slowly, almost imperceivably, things are accepted that were once rejected. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap Corruption. And that's we finished, a, we spent our summer talking about judges. you guys remember the, the cycle, the downward cycle of judges? I mean, these people, these were God's people that let complacency take hold of their life. They were just apathetic, apathetic about God. They were more excited about the things of the world than they were God. They weren't so happy in God that sin lost its appeal. That complacency led to what? Compromise, and the compromise led to crisis and difficulty, and the crisis and difficulty led to crying out to God, and then they came back to the covenant renewal, only to repeat the cycle again. So the best thing you can do each and every day is to stir your heart and your passion for Christ. When, you, when we come together, that you, you're, you're asking, oh God, show me your beauty and your glory. Sweep me off my feet with your love. May I adore you more than anything on this planet. Now let's do some quality control. Number one, is your faith substantial or superficial? Because you might immediately think, well, so I know the spirit is just obeying. Well, it is obeying God. It is obeying, but it's much more than just obeying. Look at verse 12, first part of verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. See, the false teachers stressed behavioral modification, outward observance instead of heart transformation. That's your fill in the blank. Heart transformation, motives and condition of the heart. So when we come together, that's what you're dealing with. You've got to focus on what is God speaking to me? What areas of my heart is he dealing with? I know he wants to transform my life. That's, that's the deeper question. And... Um, and so there's this difference. There's a difference between coming to church, and I ask people all the time why they go to a particular church, and it always has to do more, it's more about entertainment than it is about an encounter with Christ. And the reason why I say this is because I say, hey, why do you go to that church? Oh, their music, woo, it's so good. Okay. Or, oh, the pastor, oh my goodness, he's so funny. Oh, th- this, and it's always about some kind of form of entertainment as opposed to, oh my goodness. That church challenges me, and I've, I've never quite encountered God like I have there. And they help me to see the beauty and the glory of Christ. My heart has been swept away by him. So that's, that, would be the, that would be what you'd want to hear. That's what I want to hear. And uh, this is what it says. Here's a superficial faith that's found in 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. I think our teaching's pretty sound. I mean, I, and we're pretty long, too. And you know, a lot of people don't like that nowadays because they can't endure sound teaching. They want the little fluffy stuff so I can feel better about myself. That's not going to grow you. That's not going to grow you up. The fluffy stuff, I like fluffy stuff. <laughs> yes, I do. But you can't, you can't survive on fluffy stuff. You've got to get deep into God's word and allow him to challenge you. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. I just want to feel good about myself. So I want to find a place where they'll tell me how good I am. Well, it's not going to happen here. Welcome to Desert Breeze. We love you too much to let that happen here. We want you to discover God and to experience him. And he says, and will turn away. They'll teach us to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I want to be entertained. Here's the substantial faith, that you delight in God's word and you want to meditate on it so that you can be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of living water so that in season you'll bear fruit, your leaf will not wither, and whatever you do, you're going to prosper. And let the storms rage in your life. It doesn't matter because you have a substantial foundation in him and in his word. See, that's about an encounter with God. And by the way, you can't walk in vital union and communion with with the creator and sustainer of the universe and remain the same. I mean, I ought to be able to come to your life and you've been walking with Christ for five or 10 or 15 years, there should be a difference in your life. There should be greater love, joy, peace in your life than ever before. And if not, the chances are, you're just checking the church box. You're just working out. You're not training, You're not listening to the specifics of what God's wanting to deal with you about. And that's, you're missing out on on some amazing things for your life. Now, next part of verse 12. So that's the first, this is the quality control uh, of faith. Is your faith substantial or supernatural or or is it substantial or superficial? I'll get it right. And uh, second part of verse uh, 12, it says, in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They flatter rather than speak the truth of the gospel in love. You are in desperate need as I am uh, for truth and love for us to grow. Ephesians 4.15. Proverbs 27.6, it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So there should be almost, when you come in here from time to time, you should be wounded by what we, we teach I'm not saying a, a bad wounding. The wounding I'm talking about is the wounding of a surgeon who's doing surgery on you. How many have ever been wounded by surgery? And that was, the effort was not to hurt you or destroy you. It was meant to, to bring healing to you, to cut the cancer out. And you were wounded by that, and you had, some, you had to recover from that. It took some time to do that. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So I tell people this all the time. My job is to comfort the disturbed and to disturb the comfortable. <laughs> And I am to please. And I don't have to, really. All I gotta do is study God's Word, and it does that to me. And so there's this combination that should be happening in your life. There should be conviction. This is where God's dealing with me. And yet there should also be comfort. Oh, I'm more sinful than I ever dared to think. Oh, but I'm more loved than I ever dared to dream. Do you hear the combination? It's kind of the one two punch. It's like, wow, wow. When I read this, I don't even come close. Exactly. That's why you need Jesus. That's why grace becomes so amazing. Because the more you understand your wretchedness, the more you appreciate the beauty and the amazing grace that God offers you. Uh, So it should come. So the Bible, and in fact, I even put this down. uh, Galatians 5.11 talks about how the cross confronts us. And we'll talk more about that next week. But the Bible, the cross, confronts us with the fact that we are more sinful than we ever dare to think, but more loved than we ever dare to dream. If you don't think you're all that bad, then grace won't amaze you and therefore won't change you. Life change happens when you see your desperate need for a savior and you get one in him. It's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. So there's that combination uh, of conviction and comfort. Um, let me read to you something here real quick because we're dealing with a lot of heart issues. We're dealing with our thoughts. And this is from John Ortberg's book, uh, God is Closer Than You Think. And there's a chapter, it's called "The Beautiful Mind. Listen to what he says here. He was hailed as one of the most brilliant minds of the 20th century. But at the height of his career, John Nash suffered a breakdown. In the movie A Beautiful Mind, based on a book with the same title, we see the characters and hear the voices that exist only in his mind, unconnected to reality. How many of you have ever seen the movie Beautiful Mind? It's a great movie. So you got this guy that's struggling with these inner inner thoughts, and, and actually people, and when, when he listened to them, these voices, and, and actually people that he saw in his mind, when he listened to them, they destroyed his relationships, distorted his perceptions, and made him obsessive, irrational, and terrified. They led to death. He eventually grew better thanks largely to a form of medication that was not available in the early days of John Nash's illness, he was actually able to learn over time the art of discernment. He learned to test the voices to find out which ones were false and which ones were true. Now, I don't know that he was, if he was a Christian or not, but this is a great illustration that, that he goes on in the, in the movie. Maybe you remember this in the movie. Nash speaks at one point in the film about how, in a way, his battle is the battle of all of us. I'm not so different from you, he says to his friend. We all hear voices. We just have to decide which ones we are going to listen to. See, that's, the, that's what the Bible's saying. You're gonna listen to the desires of the flesh or the desires of the spirit, Are you going to sow seeds to the flesh? You're going to nurture that? You're going to nurture the spirit. Now, John Ortberg goes on and gives a a different illustration of that. Let me just read to you just maybe three of them here. He says here, we all hear voices. Two people suffer from cancer. One becomes bitter and despairing, while the other is a beacon of honesty and hope to the people around them. Their cancer is the same. The difference is in their minds. It's in their hearts. What are they going to nurture? What are you going to listen to? Two people reach the top of their organizations. One uses power for aggrandizement and control and the other uses it to enhance the lives of everyone in the community. Their titles are the same. The difference is in their minds. The difference is, as we would say, it's what are you going to sow to? The flesh or the spirit? Two people in the universe... Two people live in a universe where God is always present. One of them decides that in all my thoughts, there's no room for God. The other says, always before me, I've set you, O Lord. God's offer of availability is the same. The difference is in our hearts, in our minds. You're gonna sow the spirit? You're gonna sow the flesh? I like it. It's good stuff. Quality control number two. We'll pick up the pace here. See if we can knock out the rest of this because we're gonna take communion here this morning. Quality control number two. Is your faith based on what you do or on what Christ has done? And you've heard this before. We've talked about it. Verse 13. They want you to be circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. So here's your fill in the blank. The false teachers are boasting in the number of their converts as their self-salvation strategy. So if I were to come to you and ask you, are you a Christian, I can tell by your response to that question whether you're focusing on what you must do or what Christ Jesus has done. By the way, you've heard it throughout this series. I've tried to beat it into you that it's not good advice. The gospel is not good advice at what you must do to be right with God, but it is good news about what he has done to make us right with him. It is done. It is finished. All we need to do is put our faith in Christ and begin to trust him and grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Savior. It's ours. It's all ours. I mean the riches of heaven are amazing. But, but the, here's, the, here's the problem. If I said are you a Christian and you responded with defensiveness by saying of course I am. You see me, I come to church, I read my Bible, I pray, I put money in the box. Wait, 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 you can do all that and still not be a Christian. So you're focusing on you, what you do. Or here's another response that would focus on what you do, is that, are you a Christian? And you'd go like this, I'm trying. <laughs> see, you're focusing on what you do. You're either a Christian or you're not a Christian. There's no trying about it. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? If you have, then you have all the resources of heaven on your side. God is for you. He's not against you. Do you understand that? Live in the reality of that. So the focus needs to be not on what you do. The do will come as a result of being captivated by what he has done for you. So you got to focus on that. That's the most important thing. That's, uh, so look at verse 14a. He shows us this is is what our response should be. It should be more of delight. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ. So the gospel means that we do not derive our ultimate joy and worth, boast in anything other than what Christ has done. So if I were to ask you, are you a Christian, it wouldn't be defensiveness or doubt, but it would be delight. Martin Lloyd-Jones says the ultimate test of our spirituality is the measure of our amazement at the grace of God. So here would be a, this, this would be a healthy response. This is what it would look like. I kind of wrote this down. Uh, just a number of things that are true about us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ. Are you a Christian? Yeah, I can't believe it. I can't believe that I'm a child of God who has inherited riches beyond my wildest dreams. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. But he has lavished me with his love, forgiven me of all my sins, empowered me with his presence, transforming me to produce more and more of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, taking all my bad in my life and working it for my good and his glory and satisfying the deepest longing of my soul like nothing else in my life. See, that's just a short list. That's, that's the reality of our lives. That's, that's that new identity we have in Christ, it's a gift. Second part of verse 14, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Boasting only in the cross frees me to enjoy the world without deifying it, worshiping it, or demonizing it, fearing it. And that's what happens in our lives. I'm gonna talk more about it next week. So this is how it works. You were created by God for God to give glory to God. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And when we are most satisfied in him, We are crucified to the world. Listen, if the people, things, and circumstances in your life can rattle your cage, it means that the world still has too much of a hold on your life. And you're not finding your deepest satisfaction in him. See, that's what he's saying. That's what he's talking about here. That's why I love love the hymn that says, And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's from the hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Verse 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. In other words, therefore, no success can inflate me, go to my head, and no failure can deflate me, go to my heart. I can't earn salvation by good performance. I can't unearn it by my bad performance. It's about being a new person, a new identity in Christ. Therefore, out of this new identity, I don't obey to get his blessing. I have his blessing, therefore, I obey him. Max Lucado puts it, uh, puts it like this. I love what he says it's in his book, his later, latest book on grace. He says, all of your efforts to win his affection are unnecessary. All of your fears of losing his affection are needless. You can no more make him want you than you can convince him to abandon you. The adoption is irreversible. You have a place at his table that good stuff? Verse 16, living by the gospel will bring peace and mercy, revealing that we are the true children of God. See, the peace with God will give you the peace of God that will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus to face anything. And then if you understand how much he's forgiven you, you're gonna forgive others. And then 17, sacrificial love is the mark of a life transformed by the gospel. That's why Paul says, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. These are scars. He took some hits proclaiming the gospel. But he said, hey, yes, of course I'm going to do that. I love him. That's how much I love him. (laughs) Sacrificial love is the mark of a life transformed by the gospel. How do you come to terms with someone who has completely given his life for you without you completely giving your life to him? And then verse 18, he's sending them off saying, God bless you. You can't change yesterday's harvest, but you can change tomorrow's. Let's pray. Let's prepare our hearts for communion this morning. Father God, help us, help us to realize more and more than ever before that we reap what we sow more than we sow, later than we sow. Help us to not grow weary in sowing to the Spirit so that we can reap a harvest if we don't give up. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.